last Thanksgiving, yeah, we're going back a couple holidays now, but last Thanksgiving in uh, another state, a woman was arrested outside a Best Buy store. Now, this pretty much happens every Black Friday or now, nowadays it's on Thanksgiving. Uh, she attacked a man who was waiting in line for the Best Buy store to open. Uh, he had been standing in line since noon on Wednesday. And uh, she made the mistake of arriving at 9 o'clock Wednesday night and going to the, the front of the line where, unbeknownst to that man, she had left a chair as, in her mind, a placeholder. So when she showed up some nine hours uh, after he had been uh, waiting there in line, um, some words were exchanged. I'm sure they were very nice words of... Uh, but she found her chair and started beating him with the chair. Oh, come on, quit judging. You would do the same thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, she, was, she was arrested and taken away. Now, why do I, why do I tell you that story? Well, pertaining to what... <laughs> what we have been talking about with the issues that uh, the Jewish people were dealing with here in the Roman church. That's a, a, a parable, an illustration of one of those issues that the Jews had. You see, the Jews felt that they were in the front of the line they felt that they had earned their place to be in the front of the line. We had the prophets. We had the promises. We have sought after righteousness and, and on and on. And then suddenly, there was a big crowd stepping in front of them in the line. So maybe you begin to get a picture of, of the frustration of some of the, the Jewish people. What was happening is few of them were coming to faith at that point, but many Gentiles were coming to faith. And so they're saying, wait a minute, they didn't stand in line. They have never sought God or his righteousness. And you're saying it's been given to them? And these are the issues of grace that they were dealing with. And here's the message of grace. There is no line. No one has earned their way to the front of the line. And so, let's read from God's word beginning with 
chapter 10, verse 21, where we ended last week. But of Israel, he says, this is to those who are frustrated all day long. I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. But yes, for us. And so, again, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this text to us, that we would begin to grasp the beauty of your grace, that we would appreciate if we've been called children of the living God, what, what all that took. And we pray for understanding. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have, uh, most of you, heard Mark Twain's uh, rather famous statement. It, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And so, as uh, we have, we've, we've commented, and I've told you what some of the commentators have, have said about uh, Romans 9 through 11, that this is uh, not only a difficult part of Romans, this is some of the most difficult 
portion of all of, of Scripture. And so we, we humbly approach it, not necessarily with all the answers, but asking God to illumine our hearts with the things that we, we need to know. Now, as he has done throughout this book, um, Paul has asked a question. So he would ask a question that he either anticipated people are asking or perhaps he heard people are asking about Christianity, about the gospel. Or one of my theories is these might even be questions that he himself had and that he knew, therefore, others likely would have. And so he, he kind of beats us to the punch, you know, when you, you think, well, but what about, and, and you see that he actually asked that question and then uh, answers it. So in verse 1, he says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? And he answers, by no means. Now, that's not nearly as strong as it is in the original. I don't, I don't ever remember saying that to anybody. Um, you know, if, if I'm trying to be emphatic, I don't remember saying, by no means. What he's saying is, no way. Absolutely not. And then he goes on to deal with it. Now, while he asks this question about the Jews, you know, some may be, be thinking, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not Jewish, and so I don't know that that's really a big issue for me. And here's this whole section of, of Scripture that is dealing with that kind of a question. Well, Here's what we need to understand. I am convinced there's a question behind the question. And it's, it's not just has God rejected his people, but I think the question behind the question is, is God himself trustworthy? Can we trust him? Here's why I think that's the question behind the question, because some would see, okay, the, the Old Testament seems to be all of these promises to uh, the, the nation of Israel, and then we get to the New Testament, and they seem to uh, reject Christ. So what's the deal? Well, we saw earlier in Romans 9 that he, he, he defines what Israel is, and that we, if we share the faith of Abraham, we actually are Israel. And so promises are fulfilled in the church, in, in us. But the question can still come, what about the Jews back there that re received those? If, if, if they went another direction, is that God's fault? And so for the Christian, we may say, well, if he made those promises to Jews and, and it didn't come through, what about to us? If he says we can't lose our salvation, 
Can I even trust him in that? What about his other promises? And so Paul gives uh, three proofs when he, you know, when he says, no way has God rejected his people. Three proofs that the Jews of that day would have understood. Uh, each of these would have made sense to the Jews. The first one, uh, Paul says in, with the question, has God rejected his people? No way. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of, of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So the first proof Paul is saying in terms of whether um, God has rejected his people, he said, look, I am living proof. I, I was a Jew all my life. I'm, I, I'm still of that tribe. That's my, that's my blood. And so he hasn't rejected me. He hasn't rejected his people. That's the first level. Then he goes forward and, and gives another illustration that they're, they're all going to grasp. Verse 2, about Elijah. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Remember when we talked about that from the Old Testament, to foreknow if you if you uh, uh, know somebody in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, it talked about that was an intimacy. And so to, to foreknow is to forelove. He says, do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? And then this is what Elijah said. Now ask yourself in terms of a, a, a sense of... Uh, pride or entitlement. Listen to what Elijah said. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And, and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So Elijah was so depressed over the results of his ministry. That the Jews were rejecting God, saying they kill your prophets, they demolish your altars. And here's, here's the conclusion. This is, this is so typical. Elijah said, I'm the only one left serving you. There's nobody else. And God said, no, actually, I have a lot of people. I've got a lot of people because I preserve them and they are faithful. So don't be so arrogant as to think you're the only one left. So that's, that's answer number two, that God preserves his people. And then he gives a, a third answer, and that is that there is actually not only was there a remnant back then of those who were faithful? But he says in verse 5 that there is a present day remnant. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. There it is again. He's saying that even though a lot of Jews have rejected God's way of salvation that remnant hasn't. 
And it's because they were chosen by grace. There is God's sovereignty. But even that is grace. It's never about someone standing in line or doing something to deserve God's favor. See, that was the implication of Elijah. That would be the implication of of any that were saying, well, has, has God rejected his people? Because look at all these Gentiles that are coming in. And he drives them back to the doctrines of grace. Because it's still all about grace. Look at Look at verse 6 then. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Now there it is again. Why does Paul keep coming back to teaching that over and over again? Well, it's because that's our default mode. If we, if we are left to ourselves, by default, we will think it's about me. It's about what I do. It's about what I have earned. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. For us, It might be someone saying, well, why is this happening to me when they're in a trial? As if they've earned something better than that in life. After all, Lord, I was baptized. I'm a member of a church. I go to church all the time. Do you see that sense of entitlement that comes in if we fall into that trap? And so, uh, again, any time we fall into it's not fair, that's because we are lifting ourselves and forgetting about God's grace. Blaise Pascal said, to make a man a saint, it must indeed be by grace And whoever doubts this does not know what a saint is or a man. Here's what he's saying. You get it? It's, you know, it's always got to be by grace. And if you don't think that it's by grace that we have become followers of Christ, then you don't understand what it is to be a follower of Christ or you don't understand how lost you were without Christ. So he asked an application question then. Verse 7. What then? In other words, what do we say then to God's grace? What are we supposed to do then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. That's verse 7. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. Context matters, and especially with what what we're about to to read here about about God hardening, context always uh, matters. If, 
if, for instance, when, when my kids were young, if you had heard me say, the kids are in a room, you'd heard me say, get out of here. Well, you would think, what a crummy dad. What an unloving dad. That's one perspective. But if you found out there was a fire roaring through the house and you heard that I said, get out of here, you would have said, what a good dad. What a loving father. And so we've, we've got to always look at the context and uh, you know, not just individual verses here and there. We are uh, about to see where he's going to say some really hard things to the Jews, Paul is. But he has already established how much he loves them, how much he wants salvation for them. But he is concerned that their time may be running out. So that's the context with what we're about to read. Verse 8, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is just hard to understand. Let's just face it. But this is, in theology, what we call judicial hardening. Judicial hardening. The Jewish people were seeking a righteousness before God, but they were unwilling to seek it God's way. In fact, they again and again rejected God's way as if they knew better how to achieve righteousness than God himself knew. And when they were given opportunity, they rejected it. And God basically, eventually said, okay, okay. And he gave them over to what they wanted. They were seeking that righteousness but unwilling to do it God's way. A stumbling block and a retribution for them. That's from Psalm 69, which, where it talks about it's a punishment for proud hearts. Now, understand this. this. This was not a warning for Christians who were just struggling with their faith or struggling with trials or even doubts. It's a warning to people who were proud of their attempts at righteousness and were trusting that righteousness even when God said, no, that is not the way. It's a warning for us. If we have seen God's answer and said, I'm still going to go my way, or I know a better way. And that's the danger. Think back to Paul's illustration of the 
the clay and the potter. And we, we talked about how hardening in these chapters harks back to the first chapter of Romans 1 where it says he, he gave them over, he let them, them go their way. He didn't have to do anything. But, but if you remember the illustration of the clay and the potter in chapter 9, uh, our, our daughter Rachel uh, does some pottery and she's got a wheel and you know can make some beautiful pieces on that pottery wheel. And um, when she does that or any potter does that, what they have to do is they've got to keep the clay wet. Not too wet, but you've got to keep it wet. And, and you've got to keep working it. You've got to keep, keep the wheel moving. But here's the question. What, what does one have to do to harden clay? Nothing. You don't do anything to harden the clay. You just leave it alone. You stop putting moisture on it. You stop working it with your hands. You stop the wheel. You remove your hands and let it sit. And if left to itself, it hardens. And what Paul is saying here, and he's quoting the other places in the Scripture, he says, there is a time, there is an hour where that happens. And it's happened to, to many of the Jews. Not that God gave up or that he was unfaithful, but where he removed his hand and let the hardening that they wanted take place. And God has given that gracious warning. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, but here's the thing. I, I still have lots of questions when it comes to sovereignty and man's responsibility. You know, all through Romans 8 and 9, it talks about God's sovereign choices and how he's sovereign from the beginning to the end. And then I, I told you in, in uh, uh, chapter 10 and 11, we, we see it talking about man's responsibility, especially in chapter 10. And some of you may be thinking, well, I, I can't put those together. I don't see how they fit together. And, and I can't really follow a, a, a God until I do. You know, this week, we had some crazy bad weather. Our, uh, I, I got a text on Wednesday, and it was a picture of uh, two of our grandchildren. They were in the bathroom, which is in the middle of their house, uh, under a mattress, because the tornado literally was passing through their area. They knew it. It was passing through their area. Well, that makes sense. But what if you knew there was a tornado headed your way, and you were told you've got to take cover? And you said, well, 
you know, let me get my phone out and uh, I need to Google this first because there's a lot about tornadoes that I just don't quite understand. And I need to get those things answered before I can make a move like that. See how ridiculous that sounds just in that, just in that area? And yet we are talking about eternity here. If you have questions, just know that God is God and we are not. And know this, that in terms of God's justice and his sovereignty and our responsibility, God doesn't have any problem with the way they all fit together. He gets it. He doesn't have a problem with that. The problem is us with our finite mind that have issues in those areas. When our four children were growing up, there were numerous times when I had to say something to to one of them and, and tell them something that I knew was absolutely true. I knew it. And yet, they couldn't grasp it because of their age and maturity. They couldn't understand it. And there were lots of times they didn't like it. But that didn't change the fact that what I told them was true and it was best for them. I'm convinced that when, when the Bible teaches about man's absolute responsibility and it teaches about God's absolute sovereignty, that there is some way those two fit together. God understands it. We may not. But don't let unanswered questions paralyze you from responding to the things that you do know, the things that are absolutely clear when it comes to God calling us. Here is what he says. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 18. Have I in the, any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Let him be the one that you respond to. Let's bow together. It is in unworthiness, Lord, that we attempt to handle 
things that from our side are mysteries. And yet, you have given us a gracious warning that there will be a time if we continue to rise up in our pride against you, there will be a time when the hands will be removed from the clay. Lord, will you, will you move us? Will you prompt us? Will you give us faith even today to trust in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.